Hello, I'm Dylan. And I'm Keon. This is Zenith, that podcast where winter lasts eight years, because this week we watched Project Avalon. Written by Terry Nation. Directed by Michael E. Bryant. And aired on February 27th, 1978. Yeah, my favorite episode so far. I'm just going to lead with that because I know Keon's going to follow this statement with, yeah, it was just okay. Well, it was my least favorite episode so far. I didn't think it was bad. You know, like I just mentioned a minute ago before we started recording, far from the worst Doctor Who has to offer. Uh, But just, I thought it was pretty uninteresting for the first 40 or so minutes. I did think it got really good in the last 10 minutes. Um, I don't know. I really liked this episode because this episode kind of focused more... More on Travis than Blake. Yeah, yeah, I kind of did. Which, it it focused more on Travis's relationship with Serverland, I guess, more than anything on the Liberator. Yeah. Which I really liked. I liked that they were fleshing that out a little bit more. Yeah, it's it's always nice to, uh, you know, have a villain with an actual character, right? I mean, (laughs) I think it's why we liked Shiraz Jack so much on our other podcast, (laughs) Trust Your Doctor, which you should check out. We talk about Doctor Who. (laughs) (laughs) Not to be confused with this podcast, where we also talk about Doctor (laughs) Who. Um, But yeah, this this episode even opens with Travis. Like, you see uh, Travis before Blake. And this is how I knew that Servalan was going to be in this episode as well. Because, as we mentioned, I think, last week, Travis doesn't appear without Servalan again. (laughs) Yeah. I think we mentioned that last week. I don't actually remember if we did. Oh, well, sorry to spoil it for you now, though. Like, next time, uh, Travis, Servaland never appears without Travis. And actually, no, sorry, the other way around. Travis never appears without Servaland again. All right. Thanks for that massive spoiler. (laughs) Well, I thought you remembered it. Don't think I ever knew that. I'm like 99% sure I mentioned it last week. Doesn't justify me spoiling it again now, though. I mean, we're going to find out one day from now when I edit last week's episodes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so Travis, I don't remember what I was going to it's, say. It's, oh, okay. The episode starts on an ice planet, and uh, it's the, the snow effect is a special Poor. effect rather than like a practical effect because it's just like really bad-looking snow imposed on the screen. Yeah. I don't know how they achieved this, actually, some film technique or something. Oh, I was going to say this is the first time Travis has appeared in two episodes in a row. That's yeah. what I was going to say. Yeah, it is. Which, I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, then again, I didn't even remember. I didn't even realize that until like halfway through the episode. I was like, wait a minute, Travis was in the Travis was in Travis, duel. Travis was in duel. Travis wasn't necessarily the main uh, enemy in duel, though. Yeah, he was so. just a, an accessory character, really. And I think it's okay to have him appear two episodes in a row as long as they as long as those two episodes are different enough that his role isn't exactly the same which in this case which is is the case so yeah so travis is with these mutoids i was trying to see if any of them were the ones from last week and i'm pretty sure they weren't no they weren't so he's with the new mutoids i guess the old one got got killed the new mutoids I guess the old one got killed for interfering with Travis's uh, cunning plan. At least court-martialed. And so <laughs> Travis we, is meeting with this guy Turlock. Yeah, this guy who, who's, a, who's a traitor. I guess he was inspired by Turlow. Great. <laughs> and wasn't Turlow after this? Yes. <laughs> so they're on this ice planet, and they walk into the caves, and uh, they meet Turlock, and and yeah, Turlock. <laughs> 
this was the, one of the funniest parts of the episode. Turlock is like scurrying about the uh, on the stalagmites or stalactites, whichever one hangs down. He's Stal- like stalactites. Yeah, With he's sea sea for ceiling, the uh, ground. Right. He's like Spider-Manning his way across these stalactites, and he drops this letter that he needs to give to Travis and it just lands like 10 feet away so the mutoid has to go pick it up. Pretty sure this wasn't part of the actual story. <laughs> they just went with it. <laughs> the mutoid brings it back and Travis is like, nice, now we know where the rebels are hiding out. Apparently this story also builds on, Rebel I guess... scum. <laughs> the story builds on like Blake's influence actions on and others. influence. Because, because apparently there's a whole resistance movement led by Avalon who's been influenced by Blake. Yeah, on this planet really calls into question exactly how much time is passing between these episodes, you know? I was also wondering why Terry Nation would name the major character of the story Avalon when you already have someone named Avon. <laughs> Not like that's confusing or anything. <laughs> I didn't necessarily think it was confusing. They don't sound... I mean... Yeah, Avon, I guess... <laughs> Avon and Avalon literally start and end with the same four yeah, characters. Avon is two syllables and Avalon is three, so I think the syllable count is a really big indicator of which one is which. <laughs> so Travis is like, good, good. And then we cut to, I think, the Liberator, and they're in orbit of this planet. Same planet. <laughs> and then there's a massive three or four minute info dump because Avon walks in. He's like, so I've gathered that data I was supposed to get about the planet. Here it is. <laughs> yeah. He basically says that they're just entering the winter. Which lasts. Year eight, time. <laughs> it's, they call it the long cold and it's a winter that lasts eight years. Yeah. And the planet, uh, Villa's like, does it even support any intelligent life? And Avon's just like, does the liberator and Blake and Jenna just look <laughs> at each other. Which, yeah, I didn't think about this until now, but I guess that means Avon isn't considering himself intelligent life either, right? Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) Maybe he didn't realize that when he said it. Congrats, you played yourself. (laughs) Anyway, this info dump contains my award for this episode, which is the award for most underwhelming reveal of the last century. Because (laughs) Avon basically explains that during the summer months, the ice will melt and the water will seep into the caves and crystallize. (laughs) They're called ice crystals. Yeah, I noticed this too. He's like, the water, the water crystallizes. It forms crystals. It turns into ice. We call them ice crystals. And I was just like, bloody hell, what a brilliant reveal that is. Couldn't have figured that out from your explanation not two seconds before you said that. So... You gotta wonder how long it took Avon to come up with this report. Was he just working for days to, to come up with this info about ice crystals? He was just coming up for days for a cunning way to explain the ice crystals, and he's like, this is genius, they're gonna love this, and it just completely doesn't land at all. <laughs> Everyone's just like, Avon, what are you doing? <laughs> anyway, then Blake's like, okay, well, that's good, we're gonna go down to the planet and find you don't really Avalon. Know, you don't really know what they're doing or... You know they're looking for Avalon, but you don't really know why yet. Yeah. Um, there's inter- there's, uh, there's also Federation interceptors in orbit, uh, not like necessarily super nearby, but close enough that they can scan them. And when they go down, Blake tells Gan to keep an eye on them, and if they get too close, to move away. Yeah, and uh, again, Gan and Callie don't really have many lines or things to do. Does Callie even this, say so anything in she, this? St- oh she yeah, has, she like, does. Two lines. She does to Avalon later. <laughs> And, I mean, David Jackson just seems like he's completely done as Gan at this point. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Villa gets quite a substantial amount of lines. Yeah, Villa, Villa actually does stuff too in this story. Yeah, Villa, I mean, Villa I don't think is even in the same category as Callie and Gan in terms of not doing anything. I think he really, does far less than like Blake and Avon, but still. The hierarchy seems to be falling that Blake and Avon are going to be doing the most. Villa probably will be third. And then there's, Villa, probably a, big, there's a big gap that we're going to call the Chasm. And then there's like Jenna and then Gan and then like Callie right at the bottom. Yeah, I'd put Jenna closer to Villa, but yeah, pretty much. And I mean, Zen is definitely at the very bottom of that. I mean, they actually, okay, they use Zen in this episode, but. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, really, uh, Zen is pretty underused, I think. Yeah, 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 for sure. <sighs> so Blake and Jenna go down to the planet because Jenna's the only one on the ship who's seen Avalon before, so she'll be able to identify Avalon. Yep. And Blake asks if Avon wants to come down, and Avon's like, nope. <laughs> so Avon works the teleporter, and they go down. But before they go down, there's actually a scene where the Federation people go, well, they capture someone. And I thought, oh, they're capturing Avalon. But no, actually, then they go to the rebel base and they're like, okay, who's Avalon? <laughs> Step forward, Avalon, or we're going to kill this random person. Avalon's like, please don't. I'm Avalon. And then, so they take Avalon and Travis is just like, all right, kill them all. Yep. There's this massacre. Well, a couple people die at least. Quite um, a few people die. I think I wrote down that there were like 10 people in that cave that get killed. Yeah, a lot of people die in this story. Yeah, one of them makes it away. His name is Shevner. 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 He makes it away injured. Yeah, so Blake and Jenna. Come to think of it, he gets the shortest end of the stick in this story. Yeah. (laughs) And we forgot to mention that these aren't humans. They're a different species that are extremely similar to humans. Kind of like Callie. Yeah, they're, I forget what they're called. They're like this... Hold on, I have it written down somewhere. Hey, remember when Callie was telepathic and used her telepathy to talk <laughs> to people? <laughs> okay, they're still using it. She did it in Duel. Or no, sorry, she did it in Mission to Destiny. They're the Scepterons, I think. But, you know, other than that name, other than that non-human species name, they're completely the same as humans. So yeah, I don't know why they needed to be the Scepterons and not just, like, humans. Oh, we forgot to mention that there's like an obvious time-wasting scene when they're on the teleporter pad and they put on their suits and like, it's really cold down there. We better turn on the heating system in our suit. I thought and that was t- kind of funny. They turn it up and it heats up and they're like, ah, nice and warm. And then they're like, okay, we're good to go. Well, I thought it was kind of funny as a setup later when like Villa turns it all the way up and he's like, ah, ah, hot. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I don't think that would have landed as much if we hadn't gotten that this part. So, you know, I forgive it. What's what, the more egregious time-wasting thing, I think, is the shootout, which is drawn on far longer than I thought it needed to be. Yeah. Well, so Blake and Jenna make it to the cabin because the, the like, distress beacon, I guess, or the signal is still active, and they're following that to find the base. Kind of makes you wonder why Travis didn't just find that beacon and use that instead of... <sighs> Yeah, getting uh, Turlock on his side. Maybe the first thing Avalon says know. when Travis captures her is, "Who betrayed us?" And Travis doesn't tell her. We then cut to the Federation base, where we see Avalon in probably the skimpiest outfit on Blake Seven so far. Yeah, she's um she's on an operating table, and there's this like scientist or doctor seems kind of like mad scientist type person who's going to be performing an operation on her or whatever and i wanted to mention that they finally finished the uh uh, pursuit ship sets so (laughs) we can actually see the rest of the pursuit ships now finally (laughs) nine episodes in out of 
13 in this season. <laughs> um, yeah, the soccer they, seems kind of creepy. They look pretty cool, actually. I think they uh, they have there's sort of gray and silver, which you know doesn't sound interesting, but they have mm-hmm. they have sort of a green color scheme as well. Which yeah, I everyone's wearing pretty, green, I think. Yeah, and there's sort of green things just on the walls. And the those that checkered wall thing, it wasn't checkered, but like the one with the little squares on it, I guess, mm-hmm. later on looked pretty cool too. So, you know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, not not anything necessarily at high budget. It was probably just a plaster thing they put up on the wall. But hey, you know, it looks pretty cool. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, um, Avalon is uh, on this operating table and there's a bright light flashing down onto her face so this was my award for medical equipment most likely to give you a seizure <laughs> i was wondering matt while the scene went on like how do you act with that bright red light like six inches to the right of your eyeball <laughs> there's some cryptic dialogue which i thought was quite good um based on the reveal later on uh, yeah. about what they're going to be doing you don't really totally get it yet travis makes a lot of cryptic references to avalon helping them out and avalon's like i'll never help you and travis is like you don't need to you you're helping us already and you don't even know it the doctor's like kind of creepy leering over her and travis is like yep you can basically get whatever you want under my authority if you need any equipment at all you got it <laughs> and he's like yes <laughs> yeah um avalon also tells travis i think or somebody it's mentioned somehow in this scene that avalon was inspired by blake or like the the uh movements that blake has uh, inspired i guess Mm -hmm. so it's pretty interesting again made me question just how long has it been since you know spacefall on the way back yeah probably a pretty long time i guess probably a while yeah because big finish stuffs a lot of audio stories between all these bits and pieces I, i think most of the big finish things are in season one or season a i guess it's called Series A or B, I think. Yeah, I don't I don't think there's necessarily too much room later on to uh, put things in, but I guess we'll see. So then I think Servaland arrives now. Yeah, Servaland uh, arrives on the Pursuit ships. Servaland's also wearing an outfit that makes me question if anybody in the future actually wears bras. Like, I know that lady last week <laughs> yeah. wasn't wearing a bra either. <laughs> and so Servaland's also wearing this, like, really overcompensation-y white fur overcoat. Overdesigned. Basically. Yeah, overdesigned. And she takes it off and just drops it on the floor. <laughs> and I'm like, I mean, I get what you're going for. You're trying to show that she has like supreme power because the guard just immediately picks it up. But just from a practical standpoint, you would have to clean the the, the jacket after that. And that's she like... Pro- she probably doesn't care. She probably has... She probably just get as many of those as she wants. Okay. I mean, probably, really... Then again, like from a TV making perspective, like, yeah, you're going to have to clean it if you drop it on the floor. So, <laughs> I mean, or not, they could just stuff it back in the closet. <laughs> it's interesting that they're dressing Serverland in all white when basically everyone else who's shown to work for the Federation wears basically all black. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. I don't have anything else to say about that other than that it's interesting, but. Yeah, it might play more into when we learn more about our character because we still really don't know a lot about Serverland. I mean, it, compared to Travis, we know a ton about Travis compared to Silverland. And even that, even still, we don't know as much about Travis as we do about mm-hmm. Blake's crew. So maybe that whole white thing plays into something they were going for with Silverland's character. Anyway, she's like, yeah, so the council is like really sketched out by what you're doing, Travis, because you have had basically no successes yet. 
And then he makes this excuse like, yeah, well, I would have succeeded if you didn't actually want the Liberator unscathed. Like, I've yeah. had opportunities to kill Blake, but you guys want the damn Liberator. She's like, yeah, yeah, and I've made that point in your defense, but let's be clear here, Travis. You're on thin ice, buddy. <laughs> She's basically like, I unofficially support what you're doing here, but on the record, I'm just here to observe. Travis is like, don't worry, this cunning plan will completely work in Serverland. like, yeah, I mean, it seems like a good plan. Yeah. I, I think yeah, this is... I, I, I guess it's a good plan. Also, when, because I think Serverland, the reason why Serverland came is she came with her scientists who have made this. Oh, yeah. The, <laughs> they've the, made the CSO effect. <laughs> it's it's basically a little ball that contains a fungus that just completely takes over uh, anyone in the room or anyone who's. And kills them. Yeah, and kills them. So they test it on this In like prisoner. 30 seconds. Yeah, they go and test it on a prisoner. And they watch him die. Yeah. They you, seem to revel in it. Yeah, the, the fungus completely covers his body, and Travis is like, so how long until it dissipates? And uh, Servalan or someone is like, uh, just about now. So the fungus disappears, or somehow uh, disappears, dies, I guess, or dies. Or, or And you see his body is just like a skeleton. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, I guess it's just a skeleton. It looks almost zombie-like, I guess, but he's dead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No doubts about that one. He's... He's dead. He's dead. <laughs> and then we cut to, I think, Blake and Jenna with Shevna, and, and Shevna's got a gun trained to them, but he, he drops it because he's too weak, and, and they go but over they, to him. Yeah, they, they reveal that they're, they're resistant. I'm Blake. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Blake. And Shevna's like, Avalon's been captured. I can take you to the base where she's being kept. It's like just down the it's like in the the next cave <laughs> over really they didn't do a good job of uh we didn't do a good job of picking our base actually <laughs> is what happened here i'm pretty sure this was supposed to be like an actual settlement of like a septeron or whatever they were called settlement and they mm-hmm. just turned it into a base but because they said avon said that in his report that they lived in the caves that's yeah, what I prompted think- him to question their intelligence which you know i guess prompted me to question his intelligence because it's a it's an eight-year winter you don't want to be outside in that avon it's also kind of implied that it was just like a federation colony of some sort because serverland when she's talking with travis talks about how avalon's leading this resistance movement on this planet specifically yeah. so and i think also it's implied blake wants to pick up avalon because she has this like she's also got this kind of legend about her kind of like blake and so he yeah. wants to, I guess, coordinate their resistance movements with each other. Yeah, I don't think that part is actually... I mean, it's pretty easy to tell that that's what's going on, I think. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they ever actually stop and, and tell you that that's what's happening. Yeah. Which is fine, I guess. You know, if you can pick up on it in other ways, why not? Mm-hmm. We just finished recording our Daleks in Manhattan and uh, Evolution of the Daleks episode for Do- for our Doctor Who podcast, and that was a, 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 the dial, the info-dumpy dialogue, and that was a big problem that at least I had with it, so. Yeah, this story suffers from that occasionally, actually. There was one part of the story where I noticed it. I think it was something Travis was talking about. Serverland makes a lot of motions and and touchy-feely things with Travis that implies that maybe she's sleeping with Travis, too. Guess, I guess when you're in a position like power like that, you can sleep with whoever you want, really. I'm not going like, to judge her for that. Or, like, did Serverland just... Or does Serverland like flirt Sleep, with the subordinates? To yeah, that- she just <laughs> flirt with the I mean, subordinates to make them feel special. It's also a legitimate strategy, I, I guess. I mean, 
if she did, she's the supreme commander. So like, it's a pretty good strategy if you can if you can get there. Worked out pretty well for her. <laughs> anyway, the pursuit ships are approaching the Liberator, mm-hmm. and Avon's like, "Oh shoot, what are we gonna do? We gotta run." And uh, someone, I think Jenna. Uh, because why would they give dialogue to Gan or Callie, right? I think Jenna say, <laughs> says that, you know, if they leave, they'll be out of teleporter range and they won't be able to bring up Blake. Or sorry, it wasn't Jenna because Jenna's not even there. Uh, but um, it must have been Avon. So, well, Avon was the one is the one who originally said that. And someone else says, like, well, we're going to be out of teleporter range, so we can't do that. But, you know, if the ship is destroyed, then there's not going to be anywhere to teleport back to. So got to mm-hmm. run. So that's their justification for why they run, which they do now. Yeah, so they they run away because the, the interceptors move closer to the Liberator and they don't want to be detected. Yeah, they don't want to be detected, really. <laughs> I think Gan mentioned earlier that they could scan the Liberator, but they were too far away to get like an accurate reading or something. So if they moved closer, then that would be a problem because they would know it's the Liberator. So Shevner takes Jenna and Blake through the caves to... The base. The base. And they infiltrate it. Uh, haven't had many, uh, haven't had incompetent guards in a couple of weeks, so, you know, glad they're, glad, glad the incompetent guards are back. Well, they're also letting them... Yeah, 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 okay. That's, but still, you know. So, well, there's the guard robot, which seems like it was just added to pad out the episode because it just beeps around the <laughs> corridor, the caves, really. Or, or add some tension that, you know, oh, well, actually, yeah, it, it does kind of add tension in the scene later on where they need to teleport them up and, and the robots, you know, approaching. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, you know, its design isn't like great or anything. Just beeping around this corridor like, what's up, my dudes? I am a security robot. So they yeah, they call down Villa. Villa actually teleports down before the Liberator moves out of range yeah. because they need to open the, the door to the base and They're Villa's like, Villa. the locksmith. Yeah, and this is a scene where Villa puts on the thermal jacket and heats it up way too much, so I thought that was pretty funny. You know, when they called Villa, he had this line like, oh man, I hate being needed. <laughs> so he goes on down to the planet and he starts helping them open the door, but the security robot's getting close, so they kind of hide and then Villa opens the door and they get inside. And yeah, this is when this incompetent guard. Uh, also, we forgot to mention that Shevna's gun just looks like the BBC prop department had done a World War II or Vietnam War special recently, and they just pulled it out of yeah, you know, <laughs> out of storage. It looks like like an AR-15 or something. Yeah, well, you know, I'm. I mean, it's yeah. kind of out of place with all the future guns that everybody else has. This I guess. dude's just running yeah. around in like a machine gun. Yeah, I guess. I guess that's true gonna try and justify it somehow but uh you know i don't think there really is any justification for it uh, other than like the idea that maybe they still use like regular guns as in guns that like fire actual bullets but that doesn't seem to have been the case until now so who knows mm-hmm. so they start looking through uh well, Blake and Villa are looking through this computer system for Avalon and they're just pulling up random cells and it's like cell like, 5g and there's just some guy. Na- they, they, it reads the name off, and they're like, "Next, next, next." And it feels really bad for all these people who are like locked up, and they're not. There's like, "Yep, not going to save them. Not going to save them." No, I mean, they can't save everyone, but you know, they're also not going in like any reasonable order through these cells. They're just picking them at random, like legit. Five G. How about four F? How about two H? Battleship. 
<laughs> they end up finding that Avalon is in 5F. Jenna and Chevna are like shooting guards because Jenna, worst shot on the show so far, completely misses a guard standing like right there this, and then he runs away and sounds the alarm. But this entire shootout kind of just sucked because it's first of all, it's just long. It's mm-hmm. not very interesting. There are only like two shots that it ever shows you. You know, yeah. the, the shot of Jenna and what's-his-face shooting and the shot of the guard shooting. That's pretty much it. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, I didn't like it. It was kind of drawn out, I think, because they just keep cutting back and forth between guard, Jenna, guard, Jenna, and no one seems to be doing anything, and the shots seem to just completely miss. And there's no, like, visual indication of the shots, except... Like, I what I mean is there's like... no visual indication if you're not looking at the gun, because the gun will, like, flash and there'll be a sound, but if you're, like... If the shot... The, the framing is on the guard then there's nothing to show you like a blaster bolt hit a wall or something you just hear the sound and you're just like okay yeah yeah it's true <clears throat> but yeah so <laughs> Blake and Villa open this door to the cells okay so there's the map on the on the computer screen and Avalon is in 5F and it looks like on the map the 5F is really far away and they open the door and the first cell <laughs> on the left is 4F and then it's 5F and I'm like they just didn't want to build another set right that's what happened here I didn't notice that, but yeah, seems like something that would be the case. <laughs> and they open 5F and Avalon like falls out and they're like, cool. And they slap a teleport based on They're like, Liberator, can you teleport us? And there's just no response because the Liberator has run away from the Interceptors <laughs> right now. Yeah, they need to make a, a quick... A uh, hasty retreat. Yeah, he's, well, a hasty journey. Not journey, but like, they need to get back to the planet fast. And... uh Avon has this weird line where he's like, fast uh, fast turns aren't going to make this trip any shorter. I was like, they might make it like a little shorter. I mean, they're in space, so I don't know like how much it really even matters, but like, they might make it a little shorter, Avon. So they make it, well, so the, the crew on the ground make it out after killing their way through a couple guards. They get to the security robot, the security robot's approaching them and they're like, liberator. Liberator, are you there? Liberator, there's a there's a security robot. We're, Liberator, we're gonna die. And then as soon as the Liberator comes into range, they're like really chill. And yeah. Avon's just like, hey, Gan, you should probably turn those communicators back on. They turn them on. They just hear, we need to teleport now. <laughs> and then Avon, Avon goes running down the corridors. Yeah, Avon just bolts up and and runs to the teleport room, and uh, you know does it in time. They teleport him in up. time. The Avon's like, what happened down there? And Blake's like, what happened up here? <laughs> I don't remember if they even tell them that they, you know, had to make a retreat for a while. I don't think they do. That Avalon... Or at least on screen. Avalon's, like, kind of weak. And we also, at some point, they, like, they knock out or kill one of the guards, and Blake picks up the guard's gun, like, right before they teleport. So he's got one of the guard's guns on him. And Avalon's, like, really weak, so they take her to a, a spare quarters they have, I guess, because the Liberator's freaking massive. Yeah. Whatever, the other guy, too, uh, Sherm. Sh- Shevner. Shevner, yeah, he, he goes off, too. He's pretty weak as well. So then they, they all convene, and, uh, you know, they're discussing what's going on, and Blake says that he, he, uh, he the, the operation felt a little bit too easy. Yeah, so well, Callie gets her one line for the story. She's like, hey, Avalon, I'm a big fan of your work. I'd love to talk about it, and, and that's... Well, she gets actually one more line later. But yeah, yeah so Callie's she, with Avalon and Shevna in Avalon's quarters, I guess. Yeah, everyone else is in the uh, the bridge. The bridge. And Blake is like, yeah, this this was a little bit too easy, don't you think? And they're like, what do you mean? And he's like, watch this. And he shoots like a gloss with a gun and it just kind of knocks it over. And he's like, just enough to bruise or injure, but not enough to kill. 
He's like, I took a bolt directly in the shoulder. It should have taken my shoulder blade out. <laughs> Jenna's like, yeah, you shouldn't even be using that arm right now. And he's like, but I feel fine. So that's kind of weird, guys. I think we were meant to escape somehow. And that must mean that one of us, or one of the people that we uh, were, were meant to pick up, you know, is, is a, a spy, traitor, you know, whatever. Well, so um, they work through this because they're like, well, why would they want us to escape? Because they we know they want us dead. So why would they want us to escape? And then I think Avon or Blake points out, well, yeah, even yeah, if, if they kill us on the ground, there'll still be the three of you guys on the ship. And Avon's like, oh, that must mean they want the Liberator un- untouched then. And Blake's like, yeah, that must mean they want the Liberator. And then he's like, oh, shoot, that means that Chevno is the is the spy because it can't possibly be Avalon. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember why they say, like, oh, it can't be Avalon. I guess they just assume because... Um, Jenna says that's definitely Avalon. You know, I've only seen it once, but that's definitely Avalon. Yeah, but I don't know why they assume that, like, Avalon couldn't be the the traitor. Probably just because she's been working for the Resistance yeah. for a long time, but that doesn't really mean anything. Just makes it less likely. Yeah, yeah. So they assume it's, it's Shevner. It's kind of like an Occam's Razor thing, like the... The the most or the simplest solution is usually the correct one. Yeah, which in this case it's not. Well, yeah, but, they don't even they don't even consider the correct solution. Well, until they find Shevner dead. Well, <laughs> well, no, even even after that they don't even consider because they're like, oh, then it must be Avalon, which it's not. It's just the Avalon robot. Well, I mean, it is Avalon in a sense. It's we'll the get Avalon there in a that they picked up, but so they they run around the ship looking for Shevner and they find Callie knocked out in the room and they're like, oh no. And then they find Shevner dead, and then Blake's like, oh, it must be Avalon then. And Gan has been helping Avalon find her tunic because she's, like, super panicked about her tunic because it's, like, really important. Yep. I'm surprised no one's just like, who cares about your tunic? We have, like, a billion on the ship. But Gan finds it in the teleport room, and she reaches into the pocket and removes the, like, fungus yeah, thing. Yeah, the, the orb. And all she has to do is drop it, I guess, and it'll break, but she drops it. She turns around in surprise when Blake runs in and is like, that's not Avalon. Uh, she drops the tunic and then the ball drops on the tunic so it doesn't shatter on the floor. So basically they survived this by dumb luck. <laughs> they find out that this is just an Avalon robot clone. Yeah, it's that they a robot. Made. So that's what they were experimenting on Avalon for earlier. Yeah, because they copied a major... Avon says they copied like relevant parts of avalon's work into the avalon robot so that she would pass like a first glance kind of interrogation type thing yeah and it's the most advanced robot he's ever seen blake's like can you reprogram it he's like only basic functions i'm like avon you were the second best computer programmer (laughs) in the universe what the hell avon just lazy (laughs) (laughs) he's like oh yeah i can definitely i mean uh just basic functions yeah just basic functions (laughs) blake's like well that'll work yeah so back on the base Travis, Travis is Sever- informed. <laughs> Travis and Serverland are basically celebrating with like champagne at this point already, and then someone walks in and is like, Blake's uh, in the room over there. <laughs> Blake's in the next room over. And Serverland just gives Travis this look like, oh, you're done for now, mate. <laughs> There's this funny scene earlier. I don't even remember what context this is in, but Travis and Serverland are just sitting on a, on a couch just watching a view screen and a mutoid walks in front of them, and Travis just motions for the mutoid to move over so we can see the screen. <laughs> Really humanizing Travis and Serverland, really making them feel like... Yeah, Blake's... We've mentioned this before. Blake 7 is just a sitcom, right? <laughs> All it needs is a laugh track and you're good to go. 
<clears throat> watch that watch that Big Bang Theory without a laugh track video. That was just uncomfortable. Yeah. More uncomfortable than the show itself. <laughs> yeah. But, but also funnier than the show itself. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they, they confront Blake. <laughs> and this, this scene itself was just funny with how much Blake just wins completely. <laughs> Yeah, Travis is about to shoot him, and then Blake's like, I wouldn't do that if I were you, and he's just holding the, like, ball of moss, and Travis is like, you wouldn't, and he's like, I'm in the room with the one guy who wants to kill my entire crew and the supreme commander of the Federation's forces. You don't think I would just do it? Yeah, and I don't think he's bluffing. I'm pretty sure Blake would do it, just based on his character. Yeah, probably. Travis is like, you wouldn't. He goes to shoot him again, and Servland just puts her arm on Travis's arm and makes him put the gun down, and she's like, what do you want, Blake? <laughs> Servaland seems to be a lot more cunning and intelligent than uh, Travis. Well, I think Travis is pretty, you know, intelligent and cunning. I think it's just when he's confronted with Blake, he just lets his, uh, his, the feud get the better of him or his anger towards Blake get the better of him. I mean, maybe he is cunning and smart, but it feels like Travis is the, the blunt force instrument and Servaland's more like the surgical knife. Like, yeah, I guess. Servaland's a little more precise in what she does, whereas Travis is just like, well, just, we'll just do everything. But so, Well, Travis is, as if the end of the episode is any indication, getting way more desperate to kill Blake. Yeah, well, so basically Blake's demands, basically, <laughs> basically Blake's demands are he wants the real Avalon. And that's it. He just wants the real Avalon. Yep. And so Serverland has Avalon brought in, and and Blake takes the teleporter bracelet off the robot Avalon and puts it on the real Avalon. And then he basically he puts the moss stuff, fungus stuff, into the yeah, little he, ball into the... Yeah, he, he commands the, the Avalon robot because they reprogrammed it to take simple commands. Um, he tells it to hold on to the ball, and um, then... There, uh, Travis says, like, well, what's to stop us from just shooting you before you can teleport? You know, your teleport is pretty slow. And then Blake uh, reveals that he's programmed the robot to drop the ball at a certain word, a certain sound, or a certain movement, and that Travis can take his chances if he wants. And then he just teleports. Turns out that movement is getting too close to the robot <laughs> because Travis slowly then moves towards the robot after Blake and Avalon teleport. That's the last we see of Blake, by the way. Travis slowly moves towards the robot as they teleport out, and then it just drops the ball, and Travis leaps forward and catches it just before it touches the ground, and he's like, Whew. and then Serverland's like, well, you're going to be reprimanded for this, Travis. I'm taking you off this job. And Travis is like, I'm going to kill you, Blake, even if he kills me. Yep. Damn it, Blake. Yeah, so I can really see how Travis is getting a lot more desperate, and, uh, you know, I, I, I don't take this the wrong way. I'm not, like, uh, you know, siding with Travis or whatever, but, you know, if from... Because you have to think, like, in this uh, universe, I guess, most people live under the Federation, right? Mm -hmm. So the way they would see this conflict is, like, well, Travis is, like, you know, the good guy, and, and Blake and crew are, like, the rebels who are causing problems and stuff. Uh, for, for, for a good amount of people, I think. Uh, you know, of course, the Federation is pretty uh, questionable in itself, so, like, that's why there is a rebel faction in the first place. But, like, you know, it's just kind of weird. It's just kind of interesting to think that, like, from a certain perspective— this is like uh, an officer, so like maybe maybe like a mil in our day like a military officer just like basically going crazy trying to catch this terrorist. Basically, I mean, I disagree with that to an extent. I think 
based on Serverland's dialogue in this story, I mean, Fed- Travis has committed war crimes, so yeah. there's that too. But <clears throat> I was also going to say, based on like Serverland's dialogue in the story, it doesn't seem like there's actually a whole lot of support for the Federation, even from the people who live in it. And that's why Blake's movement grew so quickly, so fast, because she seems to imply that like a lot of the things the Federation has done has have angered a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, that's, of course, like, why? that's why there's a resistance in the first place. Like, if everyone liked the Federation, you know, there wouldn't be one. But, like, I feel like the scale seems to be tilted actually slightly more towards people disliking the Federation than liking it in general, just based on what we've heard. At least that's the way I've interpreted Th- what we've again, heard. Then again, you have to also think the show follows a rebel, so they're gonna, he's going to be associating with rebels. And there's there, there's also my theory from, like, three or four weeks ago that everyone's portrayed as Blake sees them rather than as they actually are. Mm-hmm. Uh which I think still holds up. I don't know. I really liked this episode because I think it fleshed out Travis as a character. It's like a Travis episode rather than Blake and the crew, which I think is a nice change of pace. It's nice to see more of the story from Travis's point of view, even though the story did, I guess, kind of hide the Avalon robot plot from the audience because it's like a big reveal. It's like a big twist at the end of the episode that it's not actually Avalon. It's a robot that was sent to kill them. I think the pacing was a little off though because they like they figure that out really quickly because I think they realized the episode needed to end pretty soon. Yeah, again, there there seems to be two distinct like parts of this episode similar to previous episodes um which is usually a good thing, but this episode had I think 40 minutes of uh, you know just a weaker portion of it. You know had that shootout that wasn't very good. It seemed kind of just felt drawn out and i wasn't that interested until the final 10 minutes when they started doing something else which is like the avalon robot stuff which i thought was pretty good Mm -hmm. uh so you know if that had been more balanced i probably would have liked this episode more i don't dislike this episode i just think it's weaker than the eight episodes before it that's fair i suppose i love the music in this episode i don't know if you noticed it but like dudley simpson is really doing great with the music he did pretty good last week too dudley simpson's pulling out all the stops really yeah which is a far cry from his work on Doctor Who, which is completely unmemorable. I also really like the costumes in this episode for the like Federation people who weren't guards or Travis or Serverland. They were like just scientists, I guess. They were wearing like green tunics almost. Yeah, they were tunics. Everyone <clears throat> wears, wears medieval style tunics in this. Serverland's coat, even though it was like over designed and over engineered, it seems to fit the the the, the, the really the role the role and the like really regal persona she seems to portray even though she's not like the leader of the federation she's just commander of the military she seems to act as if she runs the federation so well maybe she does i mean based on that i mean well based on that scene we saw in um uh what was it seek locate destroy Destroy. you know maybe that's the case on seek locate destroy they indicated that there was a president of the federation who ran the stuff and yeah, well, she just ran the military you know who, who knows how much power the, the president has because it seemed the uh, actual like governmental uh portion of the federation was completely against reinstating travis yeah yet she just went ahead with it anyway yeah she seems to have a lot of control and power that maybe she shouldn't have <laughs> anyway i'm curious to see where the season's going we're almost done with the first series i'm curious i'm definitely curious actually to see if they're going to end the series on a cliffhanger or if it's going to resolve nicely and then series two will pick up sometime later well you'll see i guess you already know don't you (laughs) there's a lot i know about this show that yeah there's a lot i know so we got a we didn't get an email 
but we got a comment on our website, which sort of counts as an email because it's like the length of an email, kind of. Yeah. So we're going to do our usual thing, which is going to have our text-to-speech buddy read it out. We should, you know, what we really should do for this podcast is find a text-to-speech that sounds like Zen or find someone who sounds like Zen <laughs> to read our emails. That's something to consider later on. But anyway, here we go. We, we got this comment from uh, someone who, who, whose name on our website is Saint underscore Clinton. So there you go. Here we go. Let's listen. I watched Blake 7 when it first aired on Tet 54 in the San Francisco slash San Jose area and fell in love with the show. I used to have the entire series on VHS as I recorded it weekly, and even had interviews with different cast members who would come in for the pledge drive. I think that Blake 7 is one of the top three sci-fi shows ever on TV. I am thrilled that you guys are doing the podcast, and look forward to each episode as many of the sci-fi fans are not aware of the show. I really am looking forward to the episodes that you do on much later episodes, as the show does get better and better. What you need to remember is that the BBC puts very little money into a show when it starts, so shows are really forced into character development, so they can't put the money into special effects unlike American sci-fi shows do. What is really great is how they ended the series, as it made me rethink the entire series and all of the main characters. I am really looking forward to hearing your reactions when you reach it. Keep up the great podcast. Okay. All right, well, first of all, thanks for commenting. Yeah. Uh -huh. We appreciate the, <laughs> yeah. the feedback. We always appreciate hearing from our fans, quote-unquote yeah. fans. Yeah. Are you a real saint, Saint Clinton? <laughs> <laughs> Have you been canonized by the Pope? Uh, so... Yeah, I guess we'll just address these paragraph by paragraph. Number one, yeah. the most impressive thing is that you used to have the entire series on VHS because you recorded it weekly. <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Um, you mentioned how, and you you also um, tweeted at us, so this is an extended version of your your tweet. That, um, I noticed, so thanks. But um, yeah, it's it's. I didn't know that Blake Seven was broadcast on uh, KTEH, which I looked. I didn't know about that station. Um, we're actually also in California, so again, like I think I mentioned also this this also on Twitter, but rare to see someone who from mm -hmm. California who like even knows what Blake Seven is. Yeah, um, I've never met anyone like in in person who actually knows what Blake Seven is. Yeah, neither do I. I have to keep explaining what Blake Seven is when I talk to people about Blake Seven. <laughs> um, but yeah, I looked up this station and I, like it seems really cool. They they showed a lot of um, like old British sci fi shows. Like Blake, showed Blake Seven, Doctor Who. Red Dwarf, I think Sapphire and Steel as well. Um, so it seems like a pretty cool station to like grow up with, I guess. Yeah, I guess if you're into that. I, mean, I don't know if it'd be that cool if you were super into like Lord of the Rings fantasy, high fantasy style stuff. I mean, but then again, you probably wouldn't be watching Red Dwarf for like seven to begin with. Um, but yeah, recording it weekly. Yeah, and you mentioned that it's one of the top three sci-fi shows ever on TV. You know, I'll, I'm, I'm obviously loving it so far. I'll make that judgment probably when we finish the show but mm -hmm. you know at this point i think i could probably agree with that not that i've watched like enough sci-fi to really know or at least sci-fi tv shows i've probably read a lot more sci-fi than i've watched mm -hmm. but yeah yeah i, I think, I, think I, I think a lot of people actually do agree with that um you know people i've talked to online or whatever like yeah blake seven is you know the best show ever although then again you know i'm discussing with people you know on Blake Seven forums or yeah. like stuff like that, so you know, biased. But I was gonna say I probably wouldn't put it in my top three. I, there are definitely three shows that I could think of right now that I 
But are they probably sci-fi? consider my top three. Yeah. Oh, okay. <clears throat> I've watched a lot Who more. Te- them? No, I've watched a lot more <laughs> television than you have. So I, I think I've seen a lot more science fiction television than you have as well. Yeah, but if you're curious, it's Orphan Black, Person of Interest, and in The Expanse. So those are basically my top three science fiction shows. Not in that order. <clears throat> well, like I mentioned, I think last week. Eureka 7, which is an anime series that's heavily inspired by Blake 7, is probably my favorite TV show of all time. So, yeah, I guess that is in my top three sci-fi shows as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess some people would argue the person of interest isn't really science fiction, but it's pretty science fiction. My definition of science fiction uh, is pretty... uh, to, To me, it's just any fiction that deals with science. That's why, like, flower, I like, post like, like, like flowers for Algernon, I definitely consider that science fiction. That's def- that's definitely taught or things. I mean, I was actually thinking about this recently because I reread Frankenstein recently for the 200th anniversary, um, and we're getting derailed from this email, but mm-hmm. I wanted to mention this. Um, you know, books like Frankenstein, and I also grouped Flowers for Algernon into this. I don't know if you know what that is. Yeah, it's, it's if you don't know I've what Flowers it, for Algernon it is, is, it's a book about this um, guy with a really low IQ. And they he they exper- they give him this drug or treatment or something I forget what I've actually read the book but I forget um, that makes him like the smartest person on earth and then spoiler it like backfires and he go he regresses um, into like not being very smart again um, and like the effects of that but I consider that and Frankenstein which are two things that are taught as like these great literary things right those are definitely science fiction in my opinion. I don't know if it's so weird to consider Frankenstein science fiction. I've actually always heard Frankenstein considered science fiction. I don't know. There are a lot of people. I mean, I mean, that's I study a, that, literature. Su- so like, that I think surprises I have, me because like I've of, definitely heard more people call it science fiction than not. I, I mean, to me, Frankenstein is the beginning of all modern science fiction and horror. But mm-hmm. like you, you bring that up to people and they're like, what? No, it's not science fiction. It's not horror. Well, the horror one less so, but they're like, no, it's not science fiction. No, no. But like, that's the beginning of it, right? That has, it has yeah. everything that science fiction has. But anyway. That's just my rant, I guess. Anyway, you're thrilled that we're doing the podcast? Uh, yeah, I mean, we're, enjoy, we're enjoying we it so too. far. Thanks, yeah. <laughs> we're just glad that there are people who are actually enjoying it so far. I think when we started it, we were like, is there anybody who's actually going to listen to us, two random dudes, talk about Blake 7? Especially out, since yeah. we, we're not as informed about the show as we could be. You know, it's our first time watching the show, so. Yeah, a lot of people, when they look for podcasts about things, they're looking for, like, look for podcasts from, like, people who are steeped in the lore and yeah. are like super knowledgeable about everything about the show so that they can be super analytical. And we're just like, we're just here to have fun and like sometimes analyze some things. Yeah. And I mean, I, I definitely think we're also um, more, fo- we're more focused on what's going on on screen rather than behind the scenes stuff because <laughs> it's our first time watching. Yeah. Um, but you know, if you, if you do want um, a more analytical Blake seven podcast, that I think looks a little more also into behind the scenes things, Spacefall podcast, um, just started, um, and they, they're they definitely a lot more knowledgeable about the show than us, so mm-hmm. they're also pretty cool if you want to check them out. There's also Down and Safe, which I haven't listened to, but yeah, down- from my understanding is also a little more analytical. They yeah. haven't put out an episode in a long time. Yeah, they're pretty irregular. Down and Safe is pretty irregular. But they've done all the way up to, I think, somewhere in Series 3. I think they finished Season 2 or Series B or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. I don't think they've progressed any farther than that, as far as I'm aware. Right, you then go on to chew us out about the BBC <laughs> putting very little money into a show, and I think we're pretty well aware of that, actually. I think we like to just kind of rag on the show because we enjoy that aspect of it. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's true. I don't think I don't think we come out here and we're like, oh man, the low budget sucks, it basically makes us the worst show of all time. I think we're definitely doing it out of like affection for yeah, the kind of weird sure. charm that it gives the show. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely an, an integral part of the show, I think. I I think, like, the, the low budget basically kind of makes the show what it is. I mean, yeah, budget is always part of a, a TV show. I know you kind of mentioned that as well. You know, shows are really forced into character development because they don't have the money in special effects. And I think that's part of the reason why there's a lot of character in Blake 7. But I also think part of that reason is because Chris Boucher actually knows how to write. <laughs> and... And you mentioned um, the ending of Blake 7, which I know, I think, enough about to spoil it for Dylan, who doesn't probably know as much as I do. I mean, I know, I know something about it. All right. I know very few spoilers about this show because I've tried to actually approach this show, I, I, I guess... Blind. Kind of how Keon approached Doctor Who, which is just completely blind, uh, not knowing anything. I've had things spoiled for me, so I know <laughs> a, a few spoilers... But I'm trying to approach it blind because I want to get that first viewing experience, you know, <laughs> that you can get nowhere else on the internet. <laughs> but yeah, the the ending is, I mean, I haven't watched it yet, obviously, but sounds pretty great. Sounds pretty great. Yeah, I had part of the ending spoiled when I was trying to figure out a name for this podcast because I read a review of Blake 7 that was like, I'm just going to tell you how the series ends because it's way better to watch Blake 7 if you know how the show ends. Blank, 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 blank. And I'm like, wow. Yeah, I don't know about that. Wow. That's, Wow. <laughs> But yeah, thanks again. For, yeah, thanks for, for commenting. Know. Thanks for the kind we, words. We kind of derailed your email, to, or not email, comment to talk about other things. But yeah, thanks. thanks. We do that a lot, I think. <laughs> I think we like to draw in relations between Blake 7 and other things a lot. And then we kind of get a little derailed talking about the core concept at hand rather than Blake 7. But yeah, thank you for the kind words. Recommend us to your friends yeah. so we can increase our... Fantastic listening numbers. Anyway, you can email us at thedoctor at decadentvegetable.com. Questions, comments, concerns, angry ants, love letters, your thoughts on Travis and Silverland and the relationship between the two. You can find us on YouTube at Decorative Vegetable. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Google Play at Zenith Blake 7 Podcast. Be sure to leave a rating if you like the show. Tell your friends about our podcast. <laughs> Check us on Facebook, Trust Your Doctor, like us on Facebook, also check us on Twitter, at TYD Podcast, and follow us on Twitter. And next week, we're watching Breakdown, but until then, the end. <laughs>